welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. This is Sci-Fi Diner Classic, an episode, oh, I don't know what episode this is in the classic, but it's, oh, somewhere in the 20s. And I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And tonight, we often bring these celebrities, uh, TV celebrities, movie celebrities, that we kind of bring on and kind of share these classic interviews. Mm -hmm. And this man, probably of all the men that we've interviewed, has has had his pulse, his fingers on the pulse of Star Trek. For a very, very long time. So, so long he even had a chance to, to meet uh, Mr. Gene Roddenberry. Right. Uh, so he, of course, is Dr. Star Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. Mm-hmm. He's been on this show numerous times. This is our very first interview with him. Right. I mean, if, if, you have a, if you have a question about Star Trek, this is the guy to go to. So this is our first encounter with him. We may not share all the interviews that we did with him, but this is one that we definitely are going to be sharing. And, uh, and, we, and, and again... If you've not checked out, he's doing the Connor Rath thing right now. Mm-hmm. That's, I imagine, moving toward his fruition here. And uh, when is that going to be coming out? Do we know? I, I do not know the release date. No, but uh, and I, I know that he was hoping to have it done for the summer, but I'm not sure it, it was ever officially released. So. Uh, no, it's definitely not been officially released yet. So we're looking forward to that coming out. Mm-hmm. We'll know when it's officially released because Miles will be drooling. And we will, I will scream it from the mountaintops. Yeah, absolutely. We will definitely share that here on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. But for this classic, we're just going to share an interview with Dr. Star Trek, Larry Nemechek himself, talking about Star Trek. And I believe that's it. Anything else, Miles? No, uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview, though. Yep, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's no secret to any of you that when it comes to sci-fi, much of my passion for it is because of Star Trek. Well, tonight we'll be speaking with a gentleman who, whose passion for Star Trek is so great, many call him Dr. Star Trek. Ooh. His contributions to Star Trek <laughs> include the authoritative Star Trek uh, Next Generation Season 1 Concordance, the Star Trek uh, Next Generation Companion, which has been revised three times because of more added material, and also I'm proud to say I own a copy of, uh, served as the managing editor for the Star Trek uh, Communicator from uh, 1998 to 2005. He has served as a consultant advisor to, advisor to numerous Star Trek uh, projects, such as the, the Museum and uh, Borg Invasion for a theme park in Las Vegas. He has done over 500 interviews and chats with actors, writers, and producers. And he's also served, he's also made over uh, 50 on camera and stage appearances for many other related Trek st- projects. We are delighted to be speaking with uh, Mr. Larry Nemechek. Mr. Nemechek, welcome and thank you for taking time to speak with us on the Sci Fi Diner podcast. Oh, this is going to be cool. I've heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, who's no. he? Who's he? <laughs> Where, you know, what was that last you said about 50? Yeah. Was that something you found somewhere? I, I didn't, didn't. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Or. Yeah, no, I, I don't. He probably pulled it from Wikipedia. Not sure. Where, where did you find it? Huh, um, okay. Uh, your site, actually, Larry. Oh, it's, it's, it's on your site. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. It must all be true. No, I just. Uh, I thought maybe you counted something. Anyway, that's cool. I didn't, uh, there are yeah. some people. So, Larry, we know a little about your work with Star Trek, but please tell us a little about yourself, about how you got into sci fi and Star Trek, and uh, how you're able to turn that into a full time job. Wow. Um, 
Well, All in two I seconds. Was, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, fall for a dumb Oki. I guess I wasn't too dumb. Uh, I just had a million interests. Uh, had been a had not been an overwhelming sci-fi fan. Whatever. Read like sci-fi movies. Uh, my eighth, my ninth grade science teacher shamed into watching Star Trek reruns. Um, so thank you once again, Mrs. Pollard. Uh, <laughs> she was like right out of college, fresh and rookie, and uh, was just aghast that I wasn't watching Star Trek. And, and the animateds were on; uh, they were viewable. And I said, "Well, I'll watch the animation before I watch this real show." But anyway, it was kind of funny. And our local station, of course, butchered it. Uh, butchered all the commercials, you know, to cram more commercials in. So uh, two or three years went by before I saw any teasers. It was really sad that they used to cut things up. Um, but no, it was like one of my, you know, I, I built models and and model rockets and did keyboards and, and loved history. And, you know, I just had a lot of different interests um, and went to school and, and was in journalism and theater and, uh, Got out and worked in news. And somewhere on the way, somebody said, if you can find something that you enjoy doing, if you can make, you can make money at something you enjoy doing, it's a great thing. And on the side, when um, I'd always been a background fan, starting with the making of Star Trek, which I just did a blog at StarTrek.com about, uh, for advice for newbies, um, to make sure you get your Trek credit in there and things that weren't there. I mean, my first thing I did it was do a star map because all the stars and planets were so disorganized. And I thought it needs to be organized. And there were, you know, actual stars, and there were the fictitious stars to a story point. And, and I did a map of that. And hysterical Jeff Mandel, all the New York Mafia fans, I, the fan mafia, I should say, that wound being Doug Drexler and Jeff uh, Mandel and Anthony Fredrickson that used to do the, the giant post book and do these books and, and did the medical reference guide and all this stuff. And I didn't know him from Adam then. It's amazing. Everybody met up in LA later. I just thought, well, this is cool. When I wrote Teak, and I said, okay, but this is very neat. But actually, this couldn't happen. This couldn't happen. This couldn't happen. Like what you pick. And made contact that way. And we were working on a star ch- chart and, um, uh, with Jeff Mendel and the, the old star maps. I wound up being a little bit work on then, got burned on the thing and said, humph, I'm going to go back to my life and move along. And, and then came Macintoshes and desktop publishing and the next generation and wound up inspired by. Beejas Cords did an annual concordance on my own just using a forehead VCR taped at the slowest speed so right. you could do for freeze frames and try to read all of Mike Okuda's little in-jokes on his screens and all that and had a pretty good job of it. Um, at a breakthrough, got that to the studio and uh, writer's building, uh, Richard Arnold Eric still well, and they eventually were copying my book every year to give to the writers. So every year the writers just knew this book f- fell out of the heavens like manna and hmm. they knew that somebody somewhere in the middle of the country was doing it and I finally came out of vacation and, and got out and, and met a lot of the writers I guess like third season met Ron Moore when he was just a little wild-eyed kid there on staff and and uh, um, saw a little bit of shooting and, and after that a couple of years later enough powers that be said this guy needs to do something and then this was back when the only modern Star Trek nonfiction was the tech manual that Mike Okuda, Rick Sternbach did, the copper-backed one, was supposed to be – it was like a year delayed, but it was coming out. And then my Next Generation Companion, what became that, was actually just the second nonfiction book of any of the modern era Star Trek. So 
um, that's kind of how it happened. I was still in Oklahoma working in news, a newspaper, and, and um, came out a couple times in a year. It was a very, very crazy rush, hurry up thing because you think if you're an official author, people swing doors open for you, and, and that's not the way it happens. They're out here making a TV show, and in those days, uh, before it got you know it got so crazy with some stuff it was so early um i had to kind of make my own contacts which wound up doing me good later on but um yeah so that's that's basically kind of how it happened wow and, and i see that happening you know it's kind of awesome that you get to that you get to you actually but you went you obviously went from journalism to making this a full-time career then right yeah and uh it was you know writing was one thing which is kind of boring but i did a lot of image work and wound up doing consulting and working with licensing and knowing what licensing needed and didn't do but you know then i was a licensed author and um i pitched a lot of things over the years that didn't go but when we moved out here my wife was lucky enough to get in as a temp at voyager and was there when they cast voyager and and i was talking about this on a special that we did on pbs about how the <laughs> the fax machine at the time when they were talking about maybe not casting a female captain on voyager and that was supposed to be the big deal but they were having a hard time casting it and how the faxes were, were pouring in whenever they thought that they were about to make, go ahead and have it be a man. Uh, mm. um, so anyway, that's a, in, that was the time when we moved out here. And, and um, I had already met enough people that kind of had a backing. And then as soon after that, the fact files out of England, I uh, was lucky enough to get put onto that. And um, all the contacts I made, I didn't want to waste them just because there wasn't a book to do. And I figured out that that's what all these freelance writers are running around doing. So I had plenty of people I could, you know, view and, and keep that up with. And then Dan Manson asked me to do the communicator editing for, for years and years when uh, it was too big a thing for him to do from Denver. So between all that, it was, you know, and of course now we're in a fallow time. Um, so <laughs> there's not as much Star Trek out there for anybody, much less for the people that, you know, did it professionally. Right. So um, I look around doing some other things too, but um, – and and the world turned, and we're all you know digital babies. So I have my uh, Trekland blog and my website, which started off as a calling card, business card, and now is you know an archive. And I've neglected to update it like I should have. But um, I'm working on my first batch of new HD uh, videos. There's a lot of stuff up there already. There's probably thirty or forty videos of uh, three fourths of it's with actors or writers or designers Very cool. and some fans and. And I have I've got probably fifteen or twenty things from since the middle of summer that I haven't put up that I'm behind on. So yeah. anyway, it's been interesting. And I and I, over the years at conventions, I've done my slideshows and jokes and info and all that. And now that there's not new shows coming out, that's kind of dried up a little bit. So it's either historical or what I do now the last year or so is just sit and talk. I mean, I like to take take surveys of the fans in the audience, especially if there's like, like a couple hundred at least. And you know, take a poll for me and see how people what people think about the new movie, and see what the mix of old and new fans are, and and uh, you know, learn a lot that way. No, I was going to say you mentioned some things we definitely want to touch on in just a little bit here. I did want to go back to you said that you were on the PBS special. Was that the one about the captains that they just ran? Yeah, uh, that was a, that was a real hoot. They got a, and I've done a few of those kind of things before. Sometimes they've been in Canada or in the UK, and I was, was real thrilled that. You know, and that's the thing about having a website now. Everybody can find everything out about you. So the producers of that got a hold of me, and they had lots of people they were lining up. But um, 
she kept coming back to me. My other natural hat that I wear is, you know, a consultant. So they did all their work, but they would like run things by me. And um, uh, it turned into more than just a talking head. They had me back for another session, and I helped kind of guide them. Brought in a few, a few of the helped them get in contact with some of the guests they had on. They had hopes of having all the actor captains, and and you should know that this was actually in production and planned before Shatner announced his uh, show. And, and um, so it kind of, and they were talking to all the captains at, at points to, to have them come on. It just, it just the way it just worked out was. Uh, the way it came down, but I still think they did a great job. I, you know, was by no means you know producing or anything, but I was uh, thrilled. I did, uh, you know, I was glad to be able to uh, actually got a credit as a consultant, not just a thank you credit at the end. So, yeah, had a lot of good fit for what it was. I had a lot of good, and I always kind of wince, you know, when they get to the corny, cheesy stuff like the those little factoid meters and things. You know, like which right. captain had the most babes, or who killed the most red shirts, or whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> whose crew died the most? But that's what everybody does so it it was done pretty well but there was a lot of hard fact in there and hopefully i added to it now i've heard you you've had a chance to meet gene roddenberry can can you tell us about that encounter well here here, you know gene died and this is what i was saying the other day it'll be 20 years this october i did meet him it was just when i was coming out here and i got introduced to him and they were using my concordances and it was kind of like a ushered into the inner sanctum and, but this was so, so far back that I was so naive that at Paramount, when they say don't bring a camera on, on the lot, that I actually like went by the letter of the law. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of knowing, as you do, uh, you bring if you have a camera, just stick it in a bag and uh, just go on, and then don't like bring it out in broad daylight. If you're in somebody's office, it's totally fine. To, you know, it's what they want to do. You just don't walk around being stupid. But I didn't know that back then, so I didn't actually bring a camera. So the one time I did meet Gene. Went into his office. He this was in um, this was in '89, so he hadn't really you know declined as much as he did so quickly the last year he was alive with his strokes. But uh, he came in and he thanked me for my guide, you know, the concordance that I was doing every year. And I said, "Well, no, no, thank, thank you, no, no, thank you um, <laughs> for uh, you know for giving everybody such a great you know a great uh, a great." phenomenon all these years that it's involved so many people and he you know said thanks and um and that was it it was just a short moment no alas unlike almost everybody else i know that's worked out here for a few years i have no no picture with gene so unless i get some really creative photoshopping going (laughs) so but that was my you know that was the time yeah Yeah. (laughs) and coming from you know but but midwest there i didn't um i didn't give i always wished to especially in the 70s when he was doing speaking ecologist to make money um, before everything kicked off again, took off. I never even saw him at a convention or speak live, so that was a, that was a real special moment. I wish I had a few more. Uh, I've asked uh, numerous uh, Star Trek novel authors uh, what they thought of the new Star Trek movie, and with few exceptions, most really liked it. Uh, I don't remember which author it was, but he said it gave the franchise uh, Viagra. Um, what are your overall thoughts of the new Star Trek movie? The new movie took me, you know, even knowing, not working on this one like I had the last few. All the Next Generation movies, I, I, between the magazine and, and doing interviewing for the chapters in my book when it would update, uh, I was really, really close to it almost from like square three. <laughs> not square one, maybe, but square three out of ten. And a lot of times they'd 
open it, I would think, you know, I really wish I had it like the the Kirk era movies, and I really wish I was totally seeing this live for the first time. So it was a little odd because JJ came in with his unit, and it was all new people, no connections to anything prior. You know, they even they barely even officed on the lot at Paramount, and um, so that was a big. And, you know, everything was in hiatus and kind of uprooted. So that was kind of different. And it's like you know, be, be careful what you wish for, you get it, Lieutenant. So, but I did get to see it with fresh eyes, even though by the time it opened, you'd had so many leaks and rumors and everything. The one thing that that did throw me was the whole Spock thing, and I was I remember being kind of queasy <laughs> <laughs> the first time or two I watched it. You know, it's like watching your you know brother kiss your sister or something bizarre. I mean, it was like <laughs> okay, but uh, it was really kind of that way. Uh, most of the rest of the movie, I at least had a hint. If not, you know, the whole thing of being an alternate timeline okay and i knew that was the way they wanted to they wanted to get in and wallow in the franchise but then cover their butt as far as not have to answer every little anal thing mm-hmm. so or if they wanted to switch something so you know i thought it, obviously it was a great movie i thought one of the strongest things about it was how it was cast i thought the casting was excellent um there you know there's my movie going realist part of me that knows that it it was a blockbuster. It was great. It didn't. It didn't set the world on fire on mega on the mega scale the way some movies have. But for, for the franchise that stupidly was called dead when Enterprise was canceled, mm-hmm. and but you know anybody that knows how Hollywood is, a they're always desperate for movies, and b if there's a franchise that made forty two, you know, excuse me, forty seven bazillion dollars, it's not going to lay in a box somewhere next to the Ark of the Covenant. Sure, you know, it's going to be out as soon as somebody feels like it's. It's going to make some bucks again, and you just hope that it's in the hands of somebody who cares. Mm-hmm. And for all the you know worry, worrying and hand wringing and nitpicking, it was uh, not just JJ, but but Bob Orsi and Alex Kurtzman and and their whole little Supreme Court of people. But it was definitely a break in continuity of of you know all your designers and everybody they you know down to the DVD team <laughs> that's mm-hmm. recording it. So, um, but yeah, it definitely blew the barn doors off, got people in. They were, you know, this whole token thing about, oh, the young people have to come see it again and not play video games so much. I mean, that obviously happened. Their marketing was very savvy. Um, you know, there's a, now there's a piece of me that says, this is very cool. They did what they did very well. If it's getting people in the door and buying Star Trek and almost like a magical script, people, I, the people I talked to at the Vegas conventions the last couple of years, First-time fans are going back and getting the original series DVDs, and they're getting Next Generation, and they're and they're they're going through. An awful lot of people are doing that, so it's doing its job. If you want to be purely crass and commercial, mm-hmm. yeah. or even just think about the health of the franchise, you know, the you know it's it, the whole thing about the fan base is aging. Nobody under thirty cares about Star Trek anymore. Well, that seems that's reversed, you know. And then Star Trek Online, and all these different things. It's back, and it's cool to be. You know, it's cool to like Star Trek. It's cool to be a Star Trek fan again. It's not the moldy, oldy thing sitting in the box in the basement. Like it, had, the perception of it anyway had right. come to be. Right. So all of that's great. Now the little the little fanboy nerd in me looks at this as I mean, it was an alternate timeline, and I loved it when they called ne- Leonard Nimoy Spock Prime. And my joke I'd say on the conventions is that you know, well, that means if that's the Prime universe, then this is the subprime universe, and we all know what kind of problems we've had with subprime anything lately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With the mortgages. And, I, and I, I mean that as a loving little, you know, lo- loving little poke. Mm-hmm. Because it is an alternate 
universe timeline. It's that's nothing radical. Everything from Stephen Forever to Yesterday's Enterprise. Nobody in the movie has a goatee, really, aside from a couple of you know Romulans or whatever. But it's it's an alternate timeline, and that's a proud high tradition. And the reality is, this is a movie, not a TV series. There'll be another one in two or three years, hopefully, and maybe another one after that. They've all got three picture deals. But in 10 years, people get tired. They don't want to be stereotyped. You got to doubt it to me. The big question is, when will it be back on TV? Because Star Trek as a franchise was made to be a TV series. That's what people, that's, that's what it's geared to be. You want a certain cast of characters on a certain kind of spaceship running around in some era, watching them have adventures every week, growing, you know, cranking it out every, every week. Hmm. And a movie has, has always been kind of a reward to a cast. You know, oh, they're on the big screen now, and and you know, and and now we've got the same characters, different people playing them in a slightly different timeline. Which, when you get right down to it, means if you're the, if you're the producers and writers, you get to say, um, okay, we love that Vulcans have pointed ears. You know, we love that Spock's mother was called Amanda. We we love that antimatter powers the engine. Okay, so in this universe, all that stuff's going to happen. In this timeline, all that's going to happen. What you know, it's. It's only off because Amanda's dead and Vulcan's blown up, you know. Mm-hmm. Or as, as I see people go, but why is Chekhov and Kirk, why are they like different ages apart than they were in the arena? That's because the Kelvin blew up. You know, Mrs. and Mr. Chekhov just decided they were going to wait a few years <laughs> before they had <laughs> Pavel this time, you know. Right. So now they're, you know, they're closer together in age than they used to be. I mean, it's like, you know, why, why did this happen? Because the Kelvin blew up. You know, right. so whatever. So, um, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm right, saying? Sure. So, everybody's excited, but the little fanboy in me still looks at this as fake Star Trek, and I wish I was hearing, getting more new stuff about new things. Right. Somewhere in the canon, somewhere in the timeline. I, you know, the fact that they did it so well, that's, that's like a huge sigh of relief. But I still feel like, okay, well, I'm watching new stuff about people I already know, or I'm right. watching new stuff about people I kind of know these are like 90% different people so what's the big deal on both ways what's the big deal and right. what's the big deal well, you know, why you, all this storm and drag having them be just a little bit different yeah well you know you did mention something that's true when I when I got into the uh, when I watched a movie that this, and having Scotty be in his brewery engineering was just too bizarre so <laughs> you know uh <laughs> The uh, one thing that I did notice uh, for me is I went and watched a movie when it came out and uh, decided, I guess, this last, uh, I guess, spring to actually go back and rewatch all the movies. And I did not grow yeah. up watching Trek. Um, I grew up in Star Wars and reading a lot of other science fiction and watching some other science fiction. But I caught sure. some Trek episodes here and there, but never really watched Trek and uh, made the commitment, I guess, in August to begin working through Next Generation. I did try going through the uh, 60s. You sound, you sound like you've been drafted into the Army. Or I have. Well, that's Miles' fault, <laughs> primarily. Miles, yeah. But you know what? I, oh, okay. I, I, went, I went watching Next Generation and absolutely loved it. I'm now, I'm now halfway through season seven. So, oh, well, you're almost there. I am and almost you, there. Well, and you had not watched, and let me just, let me just, so I know, you hadn't really watched the original series consistently as a unit. So you started in on Next Generation, not having had the original series as a foundation. That is correct. I, now, I'd watched That's some. I had watched some, uh, and I'd actually made it a point to actually yeah, watch here and there. 
I, yeah, I'd watched, I made a point to try watching the first season, made it through it about halfway and decided that, wow, mm-hmm. it just wasn't capturing my attention. Probably some of that is just not really having that as part of my childhood more than anything. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, did fall in love with next generation. And, um, in fact, the, uh, Netflix just shipped out my, uh, Voyager, some Voyager discs today. I guess some of the Netflix DVDs must be back order, but um, okay. But yeah, so I, I'm working through. I want to work through the extended universe and kind of uh, get into it. And I've been enjoying uh, Next Gen quite a bit. Did but, you start? Okay, so but and you had not seen Next Generation, even scatteredly. No, I had. As I, a, you said, I, I did Next watch. I did. I did watch a few, a few of the next gen episodes, but I had never watched a complete series. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, did, and you started with Square One with the pilot. Oh yeah, you, you bet. It? You bet. Hmm. Went through season one, uh, the terrible and flashback. Survived. Yeah, the, the terrible flashback episode they did was that in season one or season two? Season two. Oh, season two. In the clip show was yeah. in the season. Yeah. And season two. And, so, yeah, um, the writer strike and Murray Hor- uh, Maurice Hurley was walking out the door pissed and and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 and then uh, then uh, went through and this you know I love see I I've, I've been loving the past seasons uh, seasons uh, five season six and uh, now in season seven and and really enjoying it. Just watched in fact today the episode that I just watched when I was on the treadmill was the one where Data meets his mother. Oh yeah, yeah, Juliana Soon Tainer. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, so, McDonald. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and if you listen in that show, did you catch when Data says this? Just you know, aside from all the sidebar stuff you get about the Soongs and his quote unquote family, that's the show where when Brent Spiner later on said, "I don't want to play Data anymore because I'm getting older," and even with the make the Data Gold makeup on, Data is aging and he shouldn't be doing that. That's the episode where they have it written where Data says, well, you know, I have an aging chip, blah, blah, blah. So I'll get to be, you know, I'll age like my mother does too, but hers is way more sophisticated or something. Anyway, he was all upset about, you know, an actor getting older and, and he didn't want to keep playing Data. And that's why he wanted, that's why he wanted to be killed off in Nemesis. But right. there is a canon line in, in um, oh, the Juliana show we were just talking about. Right, right. Uh, genera- that that, yeah. Where he says that he has an aging routine. I think the episode episode's called Inheritance, I think. Yeah, Inheritance. Thanks. Yeah. No, the only reason I know that. I'm terrible at knowing shows. You ask Mile what the name of the show is, he knows it. Not me. <laughs> I'm terrible at that sort of thing. But, <laughs> but I, anyways, so, so tell us about wrestling. <laughs> wrestling? Yeah, you wanted, you wanted to talk about wrestling and sci-fi. Well, you know, we, we, going on and on about, you know, not just Trek, but all sci-fi. I just, I hope the fans are getting used to the idea, and then people are just going to face facts. That if we're going to have science fiction continue as a genre, whether it's print or media or whatever in this country, we're just going to have to embrace wrestling because it's the only salvation to keep sci-fi channel on the air. So, (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's, I, I think so. And I think what they need to do with it it's is my actually, tongue poking out far enough out my chin. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, what they might be able to do to actually make it more sci-fi related is to bring, like, these old cast members from shows that are dead and no longer around and just have them wrestle. I think we might, you might, you might, you might, you might, you might fun the, I mean, just picture this, picture this, right? Um, oh, no. we, bring, we bring back Mal from Firefly, right? <laughs> And and have right. them and have them and have them wrestle. I don't know who should be having wrestle Miles um, from another show. Yeah, or? well, let's, you know, let's let's have him. You know, number one, you'll, you'll have to get him released from Castle because he, he's you know 
Fillion's doing great on Castle. Oh, I know he's rocking that show up. (laughs) But anyways, that's that's the only that's the only way they can redeem it. So well, we, we've had wrestlers make appearances on Star Trek before. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, that's the other way it's happened. Of course, UPN started this whole stupid thing, and look where they are today. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. When they had, you know, I never, I never would say The Rock. I would always say Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. So it would sound very Midwestern '60s. Right. Kind right. Of, I don't know. Right. When and, he was on the Voyager, the Scotsy, and um, and they had one Enterprise. <laughs> Enterprise, the, the big show, played a big. Yep, green Orion. Yeah. Yep. When you finally saw Orion Men, mm-hmm. and uh, in the the little season that could there could not save the show, but oh could. man, that's too bad. Uh, and yeah. tiny, not tiny Ron. There's one other. There's th- been three wrestlers, and I've just gone blank on the third. Oh, I know. Uh, not anyway. John, John Teston wrestled, did he? No, no. He was on a show. Well, not <laughs> not for crowds of over fifty, but. <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe for crowds of only over fifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be the, the other way. So there, there was a third wrestler who, pe- who appeared on Star Trek. Yeah, and I, now I throw that out. We used to have a rule that <coughs> if you threw out trivia and you didn't know the answer to it, you could be shot. Right, right. Um, well, give me your address. Maybe one of our callers tonight on the show can call us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, we're not. It'd be great if we were, it'd okay. be great if we were alive. Uh, Chris Wood probably knows that. We should give Chris a record. If only there was a box with magic buttons, I could go and immediately find out what I need to know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. No, sorry. Don't. So let's say uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Trek really, you know, it's, it's at home really on the small, small screen. If, if Trek comes back, I know this is totally conjecture. Where would you personally like to see Trek go? Trek returns to the small screen. I, I asked what you would like to see done there. I know that one of the things that we really enjoyed recently was the fan film Star Trek Phoenix. Did you see what they did? I haven't. I, I'm trying to. I've worked with a couple of them, but I, I know I've read about. Tell me. Well, they, they did. They're claiming what's their. They, what's their they they jump ahead in the future quite a bit, right? Like almost like fifty years. They jump ahead in the future, and they do some interesting stuff with what the um, the transporter beams and yeah, the uh, subspace aperture. Yeah, they called it. Yeah, they they do some different things, which is kind of interesting. Um, but from your perspective, what would you like to see if Trek were to hit the uh, small screen? You want to go into the future? Or you want to jump back into the past? Oh, we'll see. Okay, this is what's funny. All the people that. Um, we're bashing Enterprise because it was a prequel. I just thought it was I mean, everybody's everyone's entitled to their own opinion, right? right. <laughs> but uh, there you go. But um, I just thought that was stupid. It's the same way I thought the the people that could not accept Next Generation when it started, you know, because it wasn't Kirk, Spock, McCoy. I was like, well, shut up! It's new Star Trek. If Gene's doing it on TV, you know, leave. Don't don't sink this. Don't stand up in the boat and sink this. And I was really that way about Enterprise because. I wanted some of those gaps in the timeline filled in for years, and I'd heard, after I was working on my book, I'd heard the writers talk about how hard it was to keep finding interesting things to do with perfect people, you know, Mm -hmm. where technology saved your ass, where you knew everything, everything had been worked out. And I said in the 90s, and I wish I'd written this down and dated it, do do stories about the founding of the Federation and when everyone's learning all this stuff, and when all this is all being figured out, and they're they're heroic, but they're still making mistakes. And... um, and, you know, thank goodness Rick finally heard my thought waves and did it. Um, so I've got no problem hopping around. There's lots of gaping holes in, the, you know, the early 24th century, the time of what would correspond to the B and the C are out there. Mm-hmm. Right. The, you know, the, the Romulan War, and I'm talking about the prime timeline. I mean, the, the subprime one is fun to do. 
I can't see the franchise, and I think Anthony Pascali and I disagreed on this, but um, he thinks everything in the future will be based on the on the on the subprime timeline. And uh, I don't see that. For one thing, who knows who's going to be in charge? That's kind of the underlying the underlying uh, question here. Now, the last time I had a long chat interview with Bob Orsi, and I never transcribed this part of it because it was mainly archival, but I had wanted to know, do they have any interest in, you know, Kurtzman Orsi or Bad Robot or anyone have an interest in doing Trek on small screen? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. We, we, we're doing the movies. That's fine. And I saw a story recently where he said, oh, I, gee, I'd to do a series. So I don't know what Chuck said. I think he, I don't know exactly what he meant in the time in between, but the big the point the point is it's going to depend on who's running it and where they come from and are they fan deep you know died in the wool in their heart fan. Are they coming at it as something they've learned, you know, as an adult? Are they coming at it as just some crass bozo make trying to make bucks, you know, and and whatever studio or network or just turned them loose because they have a big name. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I tried to blog and write about in my column in the Star Trek magazine, which I haven't plugged yet. Um, Please do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that that's going to, you know, that will determine what we got. And fortunately, we got somebody who was fan or fan-oriented with hardcore fans in tow that did the, did the movie. But as far as the small screen goes, um, I'd be happy. Uh, good friend David Rossi, who used to work with, with Rick Berman, he and, and a couple of guys – we're trying. We're on the verge of doing and pitching an animated series. So I, I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm. I can go either way. As long as it's good, I guess. I mean, I, I'm with you on Enterprise. I mean, I, I thought let, let's let, let's go retro. Let's. Uh, I think they should have been even more retro than they were on Enterprise myself. But uh, I'm sorry, you, they should have even did, done more. What? They should have been more retro. Yeah, more retro. I thought they oh, should. Yeah. You know, depend. You know, te- technology should have been less de- advanced. Uh, than well, it was. have been written better the first couple of years, but well, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the fourth season. I mean, I think many agree is the best, but it was it just wasn't enough to save it. Yeah, well, it was. It, the fourth season was a was a paid off, like a bribed season. It was unless something insane happened and their their ratings like quintupled or something. That was nothing was going to change that. Yeah, we got to we got to wrap it up here. But how how can our listeners? Find out more about you and what you've been doing in in the world of Trek and your blog. Tell us how can listeners find out more about you. Oh, okay. Well, I have LarryNimichek.com, which is kind of a central place. Uh, there's some archival stuff there. If I ever start, I finally got my photo archive organized this last year, so I'm going to try to start getting some more things loaded up there. Um, but then my Trekland, my Trekland blog. Uh, which is now at treklandblog.com, or you can go to the name website and get there. And like I said, it's been a little slow the last two or three months, but I'm I finally speeded up now to where I can do my HD videos and and get the stuff in from the last summer and fall, and um, and then hopefully coming to a convention. You, know, I always go to Vegas. I've been going to San Diego Comic Con, um, our old hometown con in Oklahoma City, Sooner Con. Give them a plug. Uh, but I try to get around. I've done some more in the last year, hopefully trying to make it up to Seattle to Emerald City Comic Con. And, um, and uh, I was just at the you know, Dallas uh, Fan Days in October and hope to go back again. So anyway, it's on the site where I'm going for events and things on the site. And, and I like to share stories and hear what everybody's doing and, uh, you know, sample the – sample, you know, take a – 
take an air check of the the mood out there and see what everybody's thinking and and um do that end of it and and keep the column going in the magazine and um and do a lot of writing. This is a thing nobody ever sees. A ton of my stuff I've done over the years nobody has ever seen in America because it goes overseas. Okay. But I've been very involved working at a thing in Japan with a DVD project and a kit project, but it's writing. So, so yeah, just learningmacheck.com and treklandblog.com is a good way to start. And then we'll find and out. You can do, tweet me and Facebook me and all that stuff. And all, that, all that good stuff. <laughs> well, I hope you can make it out to the East Coast sometime. Yeah, we'd love to see in the East Coast. I did. I I totally had a wacky trip to the New York Comic Con as a, as a last minute thing, and had got to meet two or three people I you know wanted to see, but it wasn't a, a, a well planned deal. So, <laughs> okay. you guys are based where? We're ba- we're based in Pennsylvania, so we're kind oh, of oh okay middle yeah there. So yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on and. Um- Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Well, we have our Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and with us to do that is Larry Nemchak. So uh, did, you, uh, pick, did you want us to give you a topic, or did you want to uh, just do one? Oh, I mean, just, uh, just do, give you do one. something from the Okay, since I, just yeah, got, yeah. since I just got through, uh, or almost through the next generation uh, watching it, what are your top five next generation episodes? Oh, next generation. Um, well, yesterday's Enterprise, best of both worlds. What am I going to say here? Oh, I mean, the easy ones would be things like, you know, Measure the Man and, uh, I don't know, Chain of Command about torture. The funny sh- yeah, I said the funny, all the humorous next generation shows. Oh, wait, there aren't any. Um, <laughs> except for something like Captain's Holiday or something or The Offspring. It's really funny. I can, I can rally you off all these little niches of shows from original series. Everything else that I kind of worked with or grew up seeing, you know, secondhand or firsthand, it's really hard to do this with. But uh, yesterday's Enterprise and Best of Both Worlds, you know, that's that's three of a top five right there, two of a top five, and then everything else I said said along the way. Okay, can I can I can I can I uh, pin what can, can I pin one more on you? Sure. Okay. So. Uh, in your opinion, then we can go. We can go. I guess can. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. In 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 your opinion, top top five of your favorite characters in all the Trek universe and all the Trek uh, movies and TV shows. Oh well, Leonard McCoy, number one. Uh, top five characters in all the Star Treks. Wow. Well, this is like, is it the PC answer or is there the uh, <laughs> I want, I want your answer. The personal answer. The personal answer. Uh, my top five, yeah, personal things. Well, Leonard, uh, Leonard, Leonard McCoy, uh, he's an icon, damn it, not a doctor. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, you know, Scotty, um, I mean, the obvious things are all the captains and Spock and all that stuff, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. Okay, wacky things. You counting regulars? You counting recurring too? Oh, that's whatever you whatever you want. Whatever I say, right, is golden. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Barkley. Wow, this is tough. Um, <laughs> just about five of the recurring aliens on Deep Space Nine. No, <laughs> I would say. Uh, 
Rom and uh, Garak, and uh, I'll throw in the Doctor from Voyager. God, this is so random. Um, it is. It is. And well, what about well, Enterprise Q? Did, Z, there's absolutely nobody. No, okay, I'm kidding. Okay, there we go. Did you like Q? <laughs> Admiral Forrest. Oh, Q would be good, sure. Oh, you know, here's a fun one. Dr. Salar. He has two bits, you made Well, I left. Of. I sucked the air out of the room on that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> he was what? I think I've what gone you, way over five. Yeah, what did you say, No, Miles? it's like Dr. Salar was the most popular character you never saw because you saw her once and Susie mm. Plaxon played it, and they loved it so much. They kept mentioning her like on the intercom and in dialogue, but they never had her back to play Dr. the Vulcan Doctor <laughs> from right. the second season episode where she was like the fifth banana in the guest order. But nice. anyway. <laughs> I think we should have Star Trek, the Dr. Salar show sometime. We, we should. We should do that. All right that. after we have Star Trek Tellarites. But anyway. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks, Larry, again for uh, sharing your Sci-Fi 5 and 5 with us. And, uh, Miles, I, you know, I think it's about time that we wrap up the show. Okay. Before we leave here, don't forget that we have two other episodes that will be dropping soon. We'll have the Sci-Fi Rewind, which, by the way, is the name that won out of all the other names mm-hmm. to, for our viewing challenge. And then we, of course, have our listener feedback show. And we'd encourage you, if you like any any of the episodes that uh, if you like anything we talked about or you want to contest something we talked about or you want to disagree with something we said uh, by all means this is a way to do it you call in leave an email and we'll give that information here at the end of the show and we will uh, we'll share that in the listener feedback show it's a place where listeners gather to talk about the sci-fi that they're watching and reading and uh, I think that's about it Miles okay well until next time good night and good luck hey we'll see you later Okay, and Buffy will be serving you tonight. And I always want to go, no, no, not Buffy. Like, you're going to know who they are. Right, right, right. Oh, man. No, no, not the red button. Red button. Oh, there we go. You were right. Yes. About what? <laughs> yes. About you'll probably lose it. Yep. <laughs> Actually, I, I hit the red button. I uh, see. You know, Elmer Fudd's Daffy mm-hmm. and Elmer. Were you right. know, when you said it, that's all I could think about. You know, hit the red button. Hit the red button. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> the beautiful shiny red. <laughs> yeah. I'm pushing the red button. Don't mention the war. <laughs> okay. Don't mention the red button. <laughs> oh, that's a Python thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>